0: We're continuing our study of 1 Corinthians. And let me give you a little bit of the background in context uh, before we get into the portion of the scripture today. In chapter 5 of the 1 Corinthians, we saw that the Apostle Paul was dealing with the problem of sexual immorality, rampant in the Corinthian church, and especially in the context of a very decadent city, of Corinth there was a particular sin of incest and not only the sin part of it but the audacity and the arrogance of the sinners now repenting regarding their sinful ways and then in chapter 6 verses 1 to 11 we saw another problem emerging in this church and that is there were we don't know how many disputations there were between Christians, and for all these arguments and issues that they had with one another, they were taking their dirty laundry out to the public. And they were engaged in this litigation, the whole series of litigation in the worldly court. And what Apostle Paul was pointing out was that the real problem existed in the leadership of the church. Because the leadership was so tolerant, so complacent. They didn't do anything about this. There was no exercise of church discipline. There was no mediation on the part of the church. They could have handled all of this, but the church leadership just didn't care, or they were very passive. So Paul points out that the church's responsibility is to maintain purity and order. Keep the church pure, keep it in order. Why? For the world to see. The world to be attracted to the church. But the world is actually basically cajoling and ridiculing the church. And today we see no difference. We see because of the lack of discipline within the church, and they take it out into the world and display all our dirty laundry to the public. They point the finger at us, and the media and the world criticize us. Well, today, in chapter 6, verses 12 to 20, we see the real problem of what we call libertinism, that is taking the freedom that we have in Christ at liberty, and just a very, very indulgent type of attitude. And once again, this has something to do with sexual immorality. I guess we can't get away from that because one of the primary sins of humanity, even today or throughout history, is that somehow related to sexual abuse or sexual immorality. So let us look at this text from verses 12 to 20. I know that we have children in our midst and I'm sensitive towards that, but at the same time when I'm trying to address this text, I cannot not mention sex or even incest, or even homosexuality. But I try to kind of, really kind of skim over that as, as much as possible. But if I were just talking to the adults, I'll go really deep into that, because we need to tackle these issues. We need to talk about that in the church. And don't let just the politicians tell us what to do. And uh, we're not here to just to be politically correct. Just to be right in the side of the law, so to speak. Or, or the the nation, But we want to be right before the sight of God and be faithful to the word of God. So I have no shame in talking about these matters. Okay? Let's go from verses 12 to 20. Let's read this out loud because this is one of the, one of the best texts. Uh, you might even say the juicy text. And I would say this is a text that is so relevant to all of us, especially in the latter 20th and 21st centuries. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins... A person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Amen. Amen. Today, I want to talk about two topics, and these two topics are very much related. First topic is that of freedom. I want to talk about freedom or I guess in the American term rights. You know, human rights, individuals rights. Uh, rights as a person. I want to talk about that whole issue of freedom. And we do have those rights. Uh, we do have that kind of freedom in Christ more than any other settings. We have amazing amazing amount of freedom in the spirit we're not bound by the law in a legalistic way we're free and yet free to abide by the law so we are definitely we are definitely against what is known as antinomianism that says forget the law forget the regulations let's do all things just freely and let's just do whatever that has no place in christianity we're not legalists but at the same time we're not against the things of laws and regulations. We, we respect them because they are of God. Old Testament Torah is all about law. And the prophets, they were talking about the laws and the ways of God. Even Jesus talked about the commandments of God. So we need to abide by that. No doubt about that. But having said that, we're not to be legalists like the Pharisees. And the scribes in the days of Jesus who were just nitpicking everything. And uh, they were trying to dictate as to what those laws are to be. So we do have freedom in Christ. We do have freedom in the spirit, no doubt about that. So I want to talk about that. And then I want to address the topic of human body. Where does human body come in, in this whole picture of Christianity? You know, I don't know how many messages you've ever heard on the importance of the human body in the context of Christianity, but recently I've been really delving into this You know, what we call theological anthropology, how God made us, how God made us bodily, and how our bodily existence is so important. So I want to talk about our bodies in Christ, okay? So let us begin with the proper understanding of our freedom in Christ. Paul begins by saying in verse 12, I have the right to do anything. And immediately he repeats that statement all over again. I have the right to do anything. Now, this is not Paul's statement. This is what the Corinthians are saying. This was sort of like a slogan, a catchphrase they were using to justify their libertinistic mindset. Okay? So what do you think about this statement? Do I have the right to do anything in Christ? Well, it seems like Augustine talked about everything in the open. He made this statement, love God and do whatever you desire. Wow, that's asking for trouble. I love God. I'm here for, for worship. You know, I read the Bible. I pray. And then I go out in the world and do whatever. Obviously, that's not what he's talking about. And that statement has been abused by the libertinists in so many ways to justify their sinful, licentious way of life. So what is the context in which Paul was saying this? He was saying this, for example, you Corinthians, you're going around saying, I have the right to do anything. Or so you have the right to just take everything to the court? You know, Root for any kind of litigation whatsoever? You know? Instead of settling in the, in the church, settling amongst you in a private setting, bring it out in the public and go sue each other and bring everything to the media and let media know how terrible the church is, how messed up the church is, how dysfunctional the church is? You have the freedom to do that? In the name of your individual rights, you're willing to bring a defamation to the church? And the other context, for example, like sexual incest and sexual licentiousness, you say you have the right to do whatever with your body? whatever you have in terms of your rights, in terms of relationship. This is what Paul is talking about. Your rights are important. Your freedom is important. But not to sin, not to violate the laws of God. And then he corrects that. by, For each statement that he made, I have the right to do anything, he qualifies that by saying, Firstly, but not everything is beneficial. And then secondly, he says, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then in chapter 10, again, he says something similar to this. And in verse 23 of chapter 10, he says, but not everything is constructive. So he's asking us to ask the question, is it beneficial? Do I have this under control? Is it constructive? Do you remember in the Spider-Man series what's the, the name? Peter Parker, right? Peter Parker, the Spider-Man, his uncle dies, but he remembers before he passed away, he, his uncle used to say this thing to him. God has somehow endowed you with tremendous power. Tremendous power. I may even say tremendous freedom and liberty. Then the uncle says to him, But with great power comes great responsibility. Do you remember that? Yeah, I'm always touched by that. The uncle, his final statement to, to Peter Parker was, you know, you're given tremendous gift, tremendous abilities, tremendous power, tremendous freedom. You could do whatever with that. You could fly all over and swing all over the city. But that's not for whatever. You are given a responsibility. Know your responsibility. Know your accountability. That's why you're endowed with such greatness. So I would say with great freedom comes great responsibility and great accountability. Are the Corinthians doing that? You're given freedom to argue. You know, stand up for your rights. Don't always be a, like, you know, like the, the mat where people just walk on. You don't have to let people abuse you, mistreat you. But the thing is, you have the right, and you may even have the right to sue. But are you doing that in a responsible way? Sure, you have freedom, sexually speaking. But are you using that freedom? of sex, let's say, in a responsible way? Are you doing it in the context of marriage, which Paul will definitely point out later, in the context of marriage in the right way, in the proper way? So we must ask this question. Is my freedom truly beneficial or edifying to self and to others? my eating of food, my engaging in entertainment, my social behaviors, even certain decision makings that I make that will be visible to others, is it really beneficial to all those who are involved and all those who are going to witness what I'm doing? Second question is, is my freedom under restraint for the sake of others? You see, that's why there's no room for addiction and obsession and indulgence and insistence upon self-rights. Even that can be a form of libertinism. It's not the self-right that's the important. It's using our rights to uphold the rights of others. And more than anything, uphold the rights of God in this. It's the freedom of God that's important, not freedom of man. And let's not fall into that trap. Sometimes in the name of freedom and in the name of human rights, we forget God. It is God who has the ultimate say. And it is not humanism which will have the day. It will be God himself. So let's remember that. Not that I am demeaning or downplaying the whole idea of human rights. I totally believe in human rights. I totally believe in individual's rights. I'm glad I lived in a, a land of the free, in the United States of America. I, I received much, much benefits from that. So that's not to say that. But I have also seen that in America, Christianity t- seems to be so self-observed. It's all about my rights. They go to church, as my rights. And the pastor asks the members to do something. But it's my rights. You violated my rights. Your rights are important, but the rights of Christ and the rights of others rights of the body of Christ and rights of those who do not have the privilege like we have in Christ, what about them? Are you willing to relinquish your rights for the sake of their rights? Are you willing to deny yourself and even suffer for the sake of others? I guess this is the question that Apostle Paul is saying that we should ask. So we must ask this critical question. That is, am I willing to relinquish my personal right for the sake of others' rights? Am I willing to relinquish what is termed libertarianism, my individual rights, for the sake of communitarianism, for the larger community? That's the question that we need to ask. And then Paul makes another statement that was common amongst the Corinthians in verse 13. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. Again, they were using this statement, food for stomach and stomach for food. Now, What do they mean by that? Well, they're saying that, you know, stomach is there for food, okay? And it's not going to affect the stomach in the long run just to eat whatever because it'll go out the other end and the stomach will be purified again which is kind of true in a way. It may not affect them in the long run. Let's say we indulge ourselves a little too much today. Okay? You know, it's not good to overeat, but let's say we overeat. You know. you know, the Romans were so used to this way of lifestyle, overeating, you know, gluttony. They didn't have any problem with it because they had an actual, sort of like next to the bathroom, they had what is known as vomitarium, you know, where they go and vomit it all out. And then they come back and indulge again in food. Okay, let's say we eat a little too much. That's not a big deal. You know, because the next day, a lot of them will come out the other end. Okay? But if I have a lifestyle of eating too much on a constant basis, that may affect me. But not once in a while. And, you know, Paul may agree with that. But this is not what they're saying. They're saying, just like, Stomach is for food; it's no big deal. Your body is for sexual immorality; no big deal. You know, I gave my body to a prostitute for one one night stand. So what's the big deal about that? I clean my act, uh, clean up my act, and I repent and I get back on the right track with the Lord. And they were using this as an argument to justify their sexual immoral lifestyle. Now what is the difference between your stomach eating food, digesting, and be done with as an episode, and a person taking a one-night stand and having illicit affair with someone? Well, because you see, When you are committing sexual immorality, it does not just affect your body. I mean, you could get sexual diseases, for one thing, but it affects your mind, affects your soul. And sometimes if you do that too much, before marriage, I don't know why I'm talking to you guys, because you you guys don't fit into this category, but the thing is, in most of the churches, what I'm about to say is such a common thing. That's happening all the time in the churches. They say there's no difference in the church or outside the church in terms of percentage of sexual activities and even divorce. So I, I don't think I'm making this up statistically. I'm in the correct when I say there are things going on in the body of Christ which will really shock us today the kind of libertinistic notions. But like I said, sexual immorality affects you not only in the physical, but it affects you in the mind, emotion, and your soul. And you may enter into a, to an illegal soul tie with the person that you may have to severely, severely deal with before you seriously think about getting into marriage. A lot of the problems in marriage happens because they, they enter into this covenant relationship without having broken all these ties, psychological ties, soulish ties. And that's what's very dangerous about sexual affairs and all. So now Paul gives us some lessons about our body, how our bodies is involved in sexual activities. And not just that. I don't think it's just talking about sexual activities, how our bodies Involved in eating, how our body enjoys culture, how our bodies relate to relating to one another. Everything is done bodily. So let's seriously think about the importance of the body, the significance of the body in the context of everyday life and in the life in the Lord. This is what Paul says in verse 13b and verse 14. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord, that is uh, Jesus Christ, from the dead, and he will raise us also. Two things that we can know right away from this text is that our bodies are for the purpose of God. God has a purpose for our body. When He made us bodily, He had a purpose in mind. If not, He would have just made the source. But He gave us the soulish body. And so God must have a purpose regarding the body. Second thing that we know about this is that God has a destiny for us, He wants to use our bodies for some purpose. And then ultimately, he has a destiny for our body. Our body is not just a temporary existence. A lot of Christians think that, you know, we have the body just for this earthly life. And then when Jesus comes, poof, we're out of the body. We're all in the soul. And we're in a state of nirvana, for example. Like kind of free-floating in the cloud of bliss. That's absolutely unbiblical. Jesus talked about resurrection of the dead. What are we talking about? Resurrection of the body. We'll all be resurrected into body for what? So that we can poof. Our bodies disappear and we we'll just become souls, free-floating in heaven. No. We will bodily exist with Christ. And that's why Apostle Paul says that we are the body of Christ. I don't think he's just talking about it metaphorically. He's saying literally we are the body of Christ. Living bodily united with Jesus Christ into all eternity. And then some people have a question. Are you sure Jesus will have the body into all eternity? Well, let's think about this logically. Jesus definitely came bodily to here on earth. Do you agree with that? That's called incarnation. Jesus died bodily, right? I don't think that was a, a mystical blood. It was a real blood of a human being. And that's why Jesus has to come in the flesh to die for us on the cross. So he died bodily. He resurrected bodily, right? That was not a ghost. It was a bodily resurrection. He ascended bodily. He's sitting at the right hand of God bodily, and he's coming back bodily. This is Christian confession. For what? So that body disappears, and we now live in the spirit? No, all this bodily language clearly shows us and points us, it's like a vector that points to the direction of our eternity. We will bodily exist in heaven with God. Now, there are times when I'm teaching at my school among seminarians and, and pastors and missionaries, and I talk about the importance of the body, and I say, you know, our destiny is a bodily destination. Some of them, like, cringe. They hate that. I don't know why. I, don't, I, I thought I would be out of this miserable body, and I don't like the way I look. I don't like my bodily image. You know, and somehow they have this notion like, oh gosh, I have to live with this imperial bodily image into all eternity. I thought it was just to last for a few decades and then I'm done with this. No, no, don't worry about it. You may not be the best looking person, but I tell you, you will be the best looking person that you could possibly imagine when you go to heaven because you will be glorified. Okay, if you want to be a little more taller than you are, just ask the Lord right now, you know. <laughs> You're no, don't worry. A short person will be stretched. fat person will be slimmed down. Okay? okay. If your eyes are too small, you should, I think the Lord will adjust that. And he's, he's not going to rely upon artificial cosmetic surgery at all. No, I know I'm speculating. My wife is saying, she's studying theology right now. She's saying, is that in the Bible? No, but I'm saying God knows everything. Do you think I'd be disappointed into all eternity because of my bodily image? Of course not. So don't worry about that. Because I know that in the minds of so many people, they've been taught and influenced by this Gnostic notions that somehow our body is not important. Our body is important, friends. But don't look at your body right now, you know? Your body will be perfected. Your face will be perfected. Your whole image will be perfected. Okay? So if you find dissatisfaction with yourself or with your spouse, with the people around you, with your children, don't worry. They will be so glorious, you will be blown out of your mind. (gasps) That's the husband. That's that's the wife. That's my children. That's my mom and dad. We will all be glorified, so don't worry about that. That's God's business, not our business. We just need to completely trust the Lord in this. Now, having said that, I want to really point out that our body should be reserved for the purpose of God. But if I give my body over to prostitutes, if I indulge in sexual immorality and do something outside of the context of marriage, how could that be for the purpose of God? This is what we need to ask. And if I'm destined for resurrection, if that is my ultimate destiny, to live bodily with the Lord, then how can I mistreat my body in the present and think it otherwise? So remember, our bodies are for the purpose of God and for the destiny that He has in store for us. Second point that I want to make comes from verses 15 to 17. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So here, Paul is going back to this notion, the mystery of the union with Christ. That we belong to the body of Christ. Now, that's a spiritual language. But actually, Paul does not distinguish the spiritual language from the physical language. If you think about it, you know, the Genesis text in chapter 2, how two flesh will become one. Two flesh cannot become one, literally, right? Isn't that true? I mean, no matter how much you try, you can't just meld into one. Husband and wife, no matter how intimate you can, you can't meld into one, right? So it's not a literal sense, so it is something spiritual. It's a mystery. But at the same time, it is exactly the bodies that are being united that causes spiritual union. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't get confused about it. This is not just some kind of a, you know, some kind of fluffy spiritual dimension we're talking about. We're talking about fleshly bodies coming together. That registers as something spiritual. So yes, I believe that what happens in the marriage bed is something so intimate, it is spiritual, it is mystical, it is an analogy of our union with Jesus Christ. It is holy, it is godly, only in marriage bed. So if you pollute that, you corrupt that by giving your body over to any other, then what does that imply? You see, our bodily union in marriage is like a sacrament. So in Roman Catholic Church, they don't only have two sacraments, baptism and communion. Marriage is also sacrament. And what is sacrament? Sacrament is a visible sign of the invisible grace of God, invisible blessing or affirmation of God. That's what this is about. So I, I'm not trying to expound this text right now. It's a mystery. The only thing I can do is I'm just awed by God's mystery of this, that we are the body of Christ, that my wife and I, are am united together as one body. And this is not just to end with romance and, and sexual pleasure. This is, this is to link to my union with God. It is to be linked with what's going to happen in eternity. So it is a wonderful, awesome, type of engagement that is reserved only for the marriage bed. But I would like to say to our audience out there, because I I think our people here, I I don't think I don't know, I, I don't know your past. Maybe you've done it. Maybe you violated it. But if you if you have, that's okay. Today we talk about new virgin. Have you heard of that concept? Second virgin concept. You know you lost your virginity but you can recover that virginity in Christ, redeem that, be cleansed like the adulterous woman that Jesus was dealing with, the prostitute that he was dealing with, and maybe even the homosexuals that he was dealing with. You can get it all cleansed in Christ. So this is not to condemn anyone. This is so that we can get all those soul ties and all those junks released from us so we can do it right in the context of true marriage. If not, go for celibacy. If you don't have confidence in it, just go for celibacy. Maybe that's more difficult for most singles. So Paul addresses exactly those issues later on. Can you believe that? He talks a lot about sex <laughs> in the First Corinthians context. So we can reserve for that later. And once again, I'd like to apologize to our little children, who's probably trying to, not here, but here at the same time, and, but you know, I'm not saying anything gross. I'm just saying that this is reality, and sometimes grown ups we sin in this area. And I hope that you can be educated in the right way by your parents so that you can prepare yourself for the right person that God has in store for you for the future. Finally, I want to say this in verses 18 to 20 Flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Wow. How am I sinning when, I, when I'm you know, having a sexual relationship with somebody? Isn't that natural? Man, woman, you know? Isn't that a natural thing? But you're sinning against your body. Why? Because your body was not made for that purpose. Of just fooling around with anybody. And it's just throwing your life body to a prostitute. Your body is supposed to be sacred. It is for a purpose. And then he goes on in verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So our bodily sins, especially sexual sins, are violation of our bodies. Violation of the very purpose that God has in store for our bodies. Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God literally dwells in the bodies of the believers. Our bodies belong to Christ. Why? Because Christ paid with his blood for our bodies. And therefore, our bodies are to be reserved to be used for the honor of God. So let's ask this question. Anytime we're talking about body in terms of sexuality, in terms of what we eat, in terms of how we surround ourselves with bodily pleasures and all, ask this question. Is is my bodily activity honoring God? Or is it dishonoring God? My stuffing myself, overindulging in food. I have no control over food. Is that honoring God? Taking substances, alcohol, drugs. And sometimes, I I do have to say, I take some medications and such things, so I have to be careful about this, you know, because in that case, life is more important, right? But in order to maintain their life, sometimes I do take medications, but if possible... All those medications we just inject and we swallow, are they necessarily the best way to honor God? Maybe we need to change our lifestyle and going for some good nutritionally you know, healthy type of food and all. I'm not a vegetarian. I'm not a, one of those alternative medicine type of person. I'm, I'm not one of those kind of like you know, a new age type of person at all. But having said that, we need to ask these questions about what goes into our bodies. And how am I taking care of my bodies? Is my daily activities too much screen time, too much of that and th- that, this, is that affecting my body for the worst? Then I need to maybe come to a point, hey, I gotta take care of my body. I need to exercise my body. I need to take care of my body. If my body's aching, learn to listen to your bodies. That's one thing I'm learning to do, listen to my body. At my age, I can't afford to be injured. And so I have to listen to my body when I feel like, ah, oh, something's about to break, something's about to tear. I got I to gotta listen to that. Because this is the only thing I have, to carry my sword to honor God in this lifetime. Let me tell you, there's amongst many, many texts in the Bible that affirm the human body. I cannot think of a better text than what we find in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This clearly goes against what the Gnostics are saying about dichotomizing body and spirit. And it's the spirit thing that's important. Body, ah, it's not important. That's the inferior It's absolutely not true because Paul says in Romans 12.1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. Of course, your soul is involved, your mind is involved, your emotion is involved, but it's your body as an integrated whole, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. We don't just worship with our soul. We worship with our bodies. We worship as a whole being. You don't separate your body from your mind. So whatever you do in your body is going to affect your mind, affect your emotion, affect your soul. So if you sin with your body, you're sinning against your soul. It's all one because you are one. You're not divided into all this. You're not fragmented. But in this society, we have fragmentized all this. And we have spiritualized all that. But here it's very clear. It's our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what Paul is referring to. In the Old Testament days, they they gave the bodies of animals. They shed the blood. They tore off the skin. They cut pieces. They put it on the altar and they burnt it up. But then the sacrifice has to die. But in the New Testament, we don't have to die like that to give worship. Jesus died once and for all, for all of us, so that we can be living sacrifices. I think God prefers living sacrifices because we can continue on worshiping the Lord all into eternity as living and vibrant bodies as endowed by God. I hope I didn't come across too fleshly today, like, ooh, wow, you're always talking about the body and body and body. I received a critique from somebody very close to me (laughs) some time ago about too much body. Well, the reason why I'm saying it is because there's too much about soul, too much about mind, too much about inner state, instead of seeing it wholly as one, integrated. And so, when I'm saying bodily existence, I'm talking about, you know, our body and soul integrated together as one. And that's the biblical view of Christian spirituality. And I hope you learned something from today. So let me just quickly review, and I will finish this message. I talked about freedom in Christ. Yes, we do have right to do anything, but not in any way. We have to be very specific about this. We have to do things that are truly beneficial to us and to others. We will not be controlled and mastered by any kind of thing that will cause addiction to happen, and we're going to do everything possible to be constructive about the way we live our lives. And our freedom is for the purpose of dedicating our bodies for the holy usage of God. We have a destiny as a body, and therefore we have to really take care of our bodies, and especially in the area of sex, something that's related to sexuality, okay? That's very important. Our bodies are to be united with Christ, and the thing that really emphasizes that union with Christ more than anything is the context of marriage, husband and wife, in their sexual union. It goes all the way to that, and that's why it's something sacred, okay? And then finally... Let us not sin against our own bodies. We talk about sinning against others, sinning against our mind, uh, sinning uh, against our nation and, and the global community and all that. But our body is so close. Let's not sin against our bodies. I realized this number of years ago at my old age. And I realized, oh my God, I haven't been taking care of my body. I haven't been listening to my body. My body's been crying out, injustice, unfair. You're a tyrant. You force me to do something beyond my limits. And I've been just ignoring all those signals. But a number of years ago, I came to see the light. And I realized that I'm going to take care of my body. Not because I'm a narcissist, like I was in the olden days when I was dancing in New York City. OK, we're all narcissists when you're up there on stage under the spotlight and all. I, I don't want to be a narcissist anymore. I want to be a very practical, functional person in Christ. And that means I have to take care of my body, offer my body as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. So God can do whatever He wants with my body. And I hope that you can come to a similar conclusion as this. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray.